if you're frustrated, if you're worn out tonight, if you're if you're just if you just want to quit, it's because you've been striving in yourself somewhere. And if you're discouraged tonight and you feel as if you're falling short, it's because you're striving in yourself because God's finished work never falls short. And if you're in Christ, you haven't fallen short because Christ didn't fall short. He finished what He was sent to do. But we have to labor to enter into that because we have to renew our mind and challenge it because we're steeped in the law. We're steeped in having to perform. We're steeped in having to measure up from our childhood on up. It's almost in our DNA. It sure is in our flesh. But, but the Word of God is what we renew our mind to. That God loves you no matter what. He loves you, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world, before you ever messed up. He loves you. Knowing everything you were going to do wrong, He still loved you. He, in other words, He knew what He was getting when He got you. He knew what He was getting when He purchased you. He didn't get a bad deal in His mind. In our mind, we may think, God, boy, did you get a bad deal in me. God didn't think so because He knew what He was getting when He paid the price of His Son's life for you. And that love never changes. On your best day, that love never changes. On your worst day, that love hasn't come down a notch because the love is God's nature towards you. And we have to learn to rest in that love that no matter what you ever do, you're not going to be a failure in God's eyes. No matter what you ever do, God's not going to ever stop loving you. There's nothing you can do for God to love you more, and there's nothing you can do for God to love you less. I'll, I'll, I'll greet people in a minute, but this is, this is the pre-sermon. I can't tell you the times I've come in here, especially on a Wednesday night, when I've had one of those days when I wanted to study all day and all kinds of other things demanded my attention, or I gave it my attention. And I'll come up here on some Wednesday night and say, God, I don't deserve to be here tonight. And I, every time I've had the Lord says, and hey, when do you think you did deserve to be there? <laughs> when do you ever think it's because of how well you prepare? Now, I want to prepare, I want to do my part, but it's always, see, when, you, when, when you've had other things and you haven't had the chance to put in your effort, you have to trust God. And those have been the most powerful. So I'm trusting that's going to be tonight, although I did have a little time to prepare. Praise God. Before you go any further, let me ask this question. Is anyone here tonight, this is your very first time at a service at Faith Christian Center. If you raise your hand, we have a little gift we want to give you, a little card we want to give you. Not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to speak or stand up or anything. We just have something we want to give you. Bless you. Anybody? All right. Well, praise God. I guess you all came back. That's a good sign. <laughs> well, you're afraid to raise your hands. Praise the Lord. Well, let's get into the Word of God tonight. <clears throat> Appreciate the worship. Those precious songs of, you know, sometimes we, you know, we like to hear the, the, loud, the, the loud music, and the, and, but, but sometimes it's that still quietness. And, 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 and this is, here's message number two. That still quietness. One of the other scriptures has been going off of me. Be still and know that I am God. That implies it's hard to know He's God if we're not still. Oh, this is what it was. Thank you, Lord. I just had a sense. There's, there's, there's someone in here, and maybe more than one person tonight. 
and you're facing a circumstance that is absolutely overwhelming to you, there's no way that you can see this getting resolved. And it's become so big to you that you're not sleeping at night, that, 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 that it's, it's devouring you, and, and you feel as if you're being consumed by it. And what I sensed in here, what I heard in my spirit is, just start magnifying who the Lord is. Do you understand who God is? Don't, don't say yes because you don't. It's a trick question. We don't really understand. Because if you really understood who God is, you'd never worry. Never be anxious. I had a friend of mine that died and went to heaven and then came back. I've had some friends that died and went to heaven. He came back, and I've shared this with you before. He shared with me one of the biggest changes it made in his life is he could not worry. He couldn't fear. He just, because he'd seen God, he'd seen heaven. He didn't see God, he just saw heaven. He saw what's waiting us, and it changed his entire life because nothing else really matters. God is so enormous, so powerful. Do you understand how he created the universe? With just words. And he didn't shout and spit and yell. He just said, let there be. And the power of those creative words created the universe, which we're still beginning, only beginning to discover. And the Bible says he measured it out in the span of his hand. He knows everything that's ever happened, everything that's ever going to happen, every minute thought you've ever had, every minute thought you've ever had, every one of in this room, everyone on the, on the earth right now, everyone that's ever existed, he knows every thought, remembers every thought. Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus was that by the Spirit of God, God would strengthen them in their inner man with power, with might, so that Christ could actually dwell in their hearts by faith. That being rooted and grounded in love, they might come to know together. This is so powerful. The breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ. In other words, to expand their revelation of how far wide Christ's love is, how deep Christ's love is, how high Christ's love is. There is no one that's outside the realm of His love, the boundaries of His love. And all that love is directed towards you. His power, His ability, His love is directed towards you. And as you begin to think of Him in those terms, as you begin to talk to Him in those terms, what happens is God begins to get magnified in our mind. It doesn't make God bigger, it just makes Him bigger in our mind. And as He gets bigger in our minds, that overwhelming problem becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. Because that problem may look enormous to you, but how do you think it looks to God? I can't imagine God's up there tonight wringing His hands saying, I don't know what they're going to do. My goodness, this is beyond anything I've ever seen. I mean, after all, I've gone through two world wars. I've seen kingdoms rise and fall. And this is, they're nothing compared to what you're dealing with tonight. No, God's not shaken. And therefore, we don't need to be shaken. Because He's a big God. And it'd be wonderful if all His bigness, all His power, all His love was sitting in heaven just looking down. But it's all been poured out to us to help us. We just need, that's one of the things why worship and praise and thanksgiving is so important. Amen? Amen. That's message number two. Let's pray and get into the message we came for tonight. Father, we thank You by Your Spirit that You're ministering to us. You're encouraging us tonight because there are people here tonight that need to be encouraged, Father. Lord, we need understanding tonight. We need the Spirit of God to take 
what it is you put in my heart because it's not just a teaching, it's an experience. And we're trusting you, Father, by the Holy Spirit to take what it is that you've stirred in my heart and by the precious Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our hearts and understanding tonight to get a taste of something, just a taste, Lord, that will drive us and pull us towards what it is you have for us. And for that we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 11. I've kind of been in and out here on, the, on Wednesday nights, but a few weeks ago, actually when Pastor Michael was unable to do his message, I stepped in here and I really felt led to go, go talk about walking by faith. And because the Bible tells us some very important things in, in uh, Hebrews 10 that says the just shall live by faith, and that's what keeps us from drawing back, and God's not happy when we draw back. So faith, by everything we do, faith. Everything we receive from God, everything we do with God, even we just, I just quoted a scripture where God says, for the Spirit of God to strengthen you with might, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. It takes faith to have God, to Christ dwelling in your heart, and so that He can do what He wants to do. And so we've been talking a little bit about walking by faith. We talked about that we are to live by faith and a little bit of what that means. The last time, which was several weeks ago, we talked about this balance between grace and faith. And we may get back to there. Grace is God's part. It's the part that God does that you can't do. And it's already been done. He's already done it. Faith is our part, which simply helps us to receive what God has done. And that kind of leads into what we're going to talk about tonight. So Mark chapter 11... Now, the, 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 the famous verses on faith are verses 23 and 24. But we're going to back up a little bit and kind of sneak up on them. And we're going, to, we're going to start in verse 12. Now, on the next day when they, that's the disciples and Jesus, had come out from Bethany, which is the town just outside of Jerusalem, he was hungry, Jesus was hungry. And seeing from far off a fig tree having leaves on it, he went to see if perhaps he might find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said, Let no man eat fruit of you ever again. And look at this, his disciples heard it. So Jesus comes to the past of this fig tree. He says to it, Let no man eat fruit of you. He didn't jump up and down and spit. He didn't throw a fit. He just spoke simple words. Let no man eat fruit of you. And then he walked on. His disciples heard these words. That's very important. Now we're going to jump down to verse 20. Oh, by the way, noticed that when Jesus speaks these words, nothing happens that you can see. The tree doesn't fall over. The tree doesn't come up out of the ground. As he passes by, if they turned around to look at the tree, it's still standing there with all those leaves on it. But they heard what he said. Nothing's changed, apparently. And then, but Jesus kept moving because he believed that what he said would come to pass. Let's go down to verse 20. Now what's happened is it's the next day. And the next morning as they passed by, they saw this fig tree. Now it's dried up from the roots. 24 hours later, I get this picture of this tree. To know that it's dried up from its roots, it's got to be shriveled up. Maybe over on the ground, but the leaves are shriveled up. We've sometimes gone on vacation and we've left some plants outside and forgot to ask somebody to tell them to water it and come back and it's shriveled up. I mean, the leaves are all curled up and the flowers are bent over like this and it just looks, it looks, it, it's dead, it's dead. And there's, there's no, I'm, you know, I'm not a horticulturist, but I can tell if it's dead, it, it's dead. I don't always give up on some of them. I'll speak words over them and I've had some resurrected. 
but, um, but, but now they saw that it's dried up. From the point here is that doesn't happen in 24 hours. If you, if you hit it with an axe on the side, it's not going to die in 24 hours. So this tree has died supernaturally. Now let's go to verse 20. Okay, now in the morning when they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried from the roots up. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Notice Jesus didn't stop and marvel it. He didn't stop and say, Woo! Look at that! My goodness, I cursed that yesterday, and look at it, died up from the root. Woo! Wowie! He's just walking on by. He doesn't even pay attention to it. Why? Because he believed that what he said would come about, so he wasn't surprised when he could see the results. Important lesson in that. Now Jesus sees a teaching opportunity. So Jesus says in verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. And these are the famous verses. For assuredly I say unto you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea. And I believe he's looking at one of the hills of Jerusalem. And and he's picking this, I'm imagining, because one of the most impossible things that you could think of happening is a mountain getting up and throwing itself in the sea. You may have a mountain in your life today. But it's not as impossible as taking Mount, whatever it is, and seeing it cast into the sea. But whoever believes, says, and does not, here's the key, does not doubt in his heart, not, notice not his head, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever. He says, notice Jesus in verse, whatever it was, spoke to the fig tree. Now Jesus is saying, whoever says to the mountain, and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that the things he says will be done, he shall have whatever he he says. So apparently saying things are important. I'll say that over here. Saying words are important. I heard a, a study done, in fact, I looked it up and, and read it. study by, done by a Japanese scientist, this was not the message, was not saved, and, and wondered what the effect of words were. So he took two dishes and put water in them from the same source. And over one of these dishes, he spoke words of life, positive words of life. Over the other dish, he spoke negative words of death and of destruction and horrible things. And then he froze them. And once they were frozen enough to produce crystals, he looked at the crystals under a microscope. And the crystals formed by the water that he spoke words of life over were beautifully formed crystals. I I looked this up. The crystals that were formed from the water that he spoke negative things over were deformed crystals. And he tried several, same water, same types of dishes, just different words. Your body is like 70% water. What you say over your, our, our words are powerful 
when they're spoken by somebody that has the Spirit of God in them. See, Jesus is using this. He's not saying, look, I'm the Son of God. Of course I can do these things. He's teaching them to do what He did. And you may say, well, yeah, but that's the disciples. No, look at what it says. For assuredly I say to you that whoever, when you hear the word whoever, that shifts the responsibility to us to decide whether we're going to be a whoever or not. It's an open door to whoever should come. It's a blank check. It's a carte blanche. It's, it's an open invitation. So whoever meets these conditions, he's promising these things will happen. But the key in this is who believes in his, does not doubt in his heart, but believes in your heart that those things you say. So it, most of us struggle because we can believe things in our head. But he's not talking about what you believe in your head. He's talking about what you believe in your heart. Now verse 24. He's going to teach, turn this into prayer. Therefore I say unto you that whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. This is the crucial aspect of faith and of the prayer of faith. Notice the order. When you pray... When you ask, that's how you, prayer is asking, believe then that you received it. So the order is this. When I ask or when I speak, I have to believe then I've received it, that it's mine. And notice, when I do that, then you will have them. So my role in this is my role is when I ask God for something, I have to believe now that I've received it. Well, here's the problem. Most of the things we believe we receive because I can now physically see it. So when you drive through that drive-in window and you give her your $7.49, you know it's yours because in the next window they hand you the Big Mac French fries and shake. You can see that you've re- you didn't receive it until you get there. But with the things of God, He requires that we believe it before it's manifested. Why? Because believing, we learned last time, believing is what allows us to receive something God's already given us. Faith is what allows us to receive something because we can't see Him handing it to us. If you can, when you see that person with the McDonald's uniform on handing you the bag, it doesn't take faith to reach out and take it. But when, when God, when you ask God, He hands to you what, is, what you've asked Him, but because we can't see it with our natural senses, we don't reach out to take it. But faith reaches out and takes it as if we could see it, and then touch it and smell the fries. I don't want to lose you. All right. So these are the basics of faith. And, and the corresponding uh, verse to this over in, in Romans chapter 4 is, is he believed, it says Abraham believed in order that he might become. So it's not like God sitting up there with a checklist that you've got to do in order. Uh, let me see. Did you say something? Yeah, they said the right thing. Check that off. Let's see. Uh, uh, um, okay, when you asked. Did you ask? Yeah, they, they checked number two off. They asked. Believe that you received it. Let me see. Did they do that? I'm not so sure. We've got to wait on that one. See, what we've learned from, from faith is that it's almost like a formula we've got to go through. Because I won't ask for a show of hands, but I suspect every one of us in here has believed God for something that hasn't happened yet. 
And it may be there are other reasons. But one of the reasons is, first of all, not understanding what faith is and how it works. Faith is the easiest thing in the world. So if you're working hard at it, it's not faith. If you're working hard at it, it's because you're trying to make it happen. Notice the difference here. What we have to do is we have to believe that God's done what we've asked Him to do when we ask Him. It's really what it comes down to. And then you will have them. Those last five words, and you will have them, that's God's part. But a lot of times what we're doing, if it's a healing we're believing God for, or some finances, we're trying to make it happen. So we do what we're supposed to do, and then we check the symptoms. We do it, it's not going. We do, it, we do it harder and check the symptoms. We do it harder and check the symptoms. So we're reading that verse that says, believe that you receive them, and then you will make it happen. But that's not what it says. Then you will have them. Then you will be able to receive what God's already given you. What we're going to look at tonight is the key to this that you don't hear much teaching about. We're going to go back to verse 20. What does he say in verse 20? What's the first thing he says? He says, turn to verse 21. That's the first thing he said. (laughs) Wait a minute. Verse 22. We'll get there. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. And in those four words is the key. Now, I think I got this right. Go to verse 24. Why? Because what he's saying is when you pray, when you ask, let's take the spirituality out of it. When you ask God for something, believe He's already given it to you, and then you will see it. To do that, you have to have some faith in the one that's made the promise the faith in the one that you've asked for. I've had some relatives that if I went and asked them for something, I wasn't so sure I was going to get it. In fact, some of them, if I asked them and they said they were going to do it, I still wasn't sure because their track record wasn't all that good. One of the ways I've learned to decide who I can trust and who I can't trust is I just watch what they do. If someone says they'll do something and they do it, ah, you've gone up a level in my trust zone. If somebody keeps doing that, you go up to the point where eventually I can really trust somebody. And if somebody says they will do something and they won't and they don't do it, then that trust level goes down. In other words, you earn trust, right? I mean, we all do that. We earn trust. So what this all comes down to is can I trust that God's going to do what He said He's going to do? That's what it comes down to. It simply comes down to can I trust God to believe that something's mine just because I asked Him even though I don't see... See, if I asked Him and I see it immediately, I don't have to trust Him because the reason I believe, the reason I trust Him is I I see the result right now. And see, if every time we ask God, the result immediately went poof in front of us. It appeared in our hands, in our bank account. The, the tumor went away. Whatever it is, if those immediately happened, we would have great confidence. My Lord, I know, I know I can trust you. Why? Because I always see you come through right away. Yeah. 
But that's not really trust. Trust is when I ask him, he said I do it and I don't see it. So why can we trust him? The key to this is understanding who God is and getting to know him. One of the things we've done is we've taken the teaching of faith, which is true and valid and critical, and we've removed it out of the relationship with God, and we've studied it as a thing in and of itself. Because if I can figure this out, or if I can master this, then I can get whatever I need. And we've left God over there, and we're trying to get things from God apart from the relationship with God. And in most cases, it's not because we intended to, We've just kind of got so focused on, I got to do this, I got to do this, I'm not doing this, I got to do this, I got to, and all that's focused on what I'm like. And none of it's paying much attention to what God's character and God is like. So now go back to verse 22. That's why Jesus starts as the basic foundation for the next two verses is you have to have faith in God in his character, in his nature, in his intentions, in his will, in his heart. The greatest way to increase your faith is to meditate on who God is and what he's like. And now where do we find that? You can't, you can't, you, the way we find it is from the thing God gave us to us to reveal what he's like, and that's his word. One of the main purposes of His Word is to reveal to us what He's really like. So we're going to just take a look at a couple of scriptures tonight. And what we're going to do, and the way you do this, the way you increase your knowledge of God, the way you increase your knowledge of God is by meditating on what it is He's told us about Himself. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. I, I won't ask for a show of hands in here, but, but I suggest a number of you have been married for a few years or more. And you may have gone through some difficult times where there's tension in your marriage. Or maybe it's another relationship. What I always find out ha- has happened in those cases, when I begin to talk to them, one of the things I'll ask them, I'll let them go on about the problems, you know, she does this and he does that and she never does this and he never does that and she always does this, he always does this. Blah, 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 blah. It's always about the other person. And, and, and I say, okay, how long have you been married? 12 years, 15 years, 20 years. Okay, good. Why did you marry her? She was the most beautiful thing. I loved her. Okay, why'd you love? Oh, I loved him. Okay, what happened to it? You lost sight of it. Because what happens is, as you're going through challenges of life and your husband fails you in some way or your wife doesn't meet up to your expectation or does something this way wrong or right, or, or they mess up. It begins to form because the more you think about that, And the more you talk about that, the bigger that image of them becomes in your mind and your image of what they're like begins to change from when you, oh, he's the most wonderful thing in the world. I know he's got pimples on his nose and I know he's got a fat belly, but he's so... No. You know, you fall in love with them, you have an image of what they're like. And then you get married and find there are other parts to them. Some of which are left on the sink at night. No. (laughs) No. There are other parts to them. There are other sides to them. And, and under pressure, and you know, as age comes, things change. And, uh, it's just, and, and you, you begin to form... And what happens is you, you react to them out of the image that's more foremost in your mind. 
don't know how I got off on this. And so in counseling, you've got to begin to get them back to that old image and, 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 and underst- put that image in balance. Yes, she may not, she doesn't, uh, this is a little sidetrack here, another sidetrack. People use, um, what's the term? People use absolute terms. She never, he always. That's not true. Nobody never does something. I mean, that's a normal thing to do. And nobody always does this. But when we use those words, never and always, we're creating an image in our mind. She's the worst thing since my mother-in-law. Or, you know, that kind of thing. And what happens is it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're not dealing with the real person. We're dealing with an image that we have inside of us. Well, we do that with God. We have an image of what God's like which was formed in your childhood because God's, original, God's, God's plan is that our, the children should find out what God's like because they're raised by godly parents who live in a godly marriage where there's love, there's discipline, but it's all done out of love. And then there's a natural transference from that godly relationship and that because they're not perfect to a transfer over to God and who He is. But unfortunately in our society, very few of us go through that that way. So you've got people raised without a father or people raised with a father that's abusive or now we're finding mothers that do that. Their mothers disappear or mothers that are abusive. And so what happens is this warps their image of what God's like and so when they become saved or, and then, you go to, then they go to a, a, a school where they take that image and they really trash it. God's angry at you and if you don't do what's right God has a, has a master ruler that he'll slap your wrists, your knuckles with. And God's angry at you. He can't wait for you to do something wrong so He can punish you. And this all forms an image that's been formed in our mind that, that now when it comes to trusting God, we've got to deal with it. We're looking at the Word of God through that image. And so the process of renewing our mind that the Bible talks about is learning to renew what that image is of God on the, ins, on the inside of our mind based on what God says about Himself. And you have to purposefully do that. You can't just do that by reading through the Bible once in a year. And that's a good thing to do. But you've got to purposely go for scriptures that talk about what God's like, how generous He is, how loving He is, how kind He is. They're all over the Bible, but what I found in my life is because I had that warped image of Him, I didn't really see Him. I noticed the things where, oh, the judgment's coming, the judgment day's going to come, all those things. Those things I could receive easily, but the love of God, I had more trouble. So I've had to work work at changing the image that I have of God in my mind. Now the good news is you've got the Spirit of God on the inside of you trying to help with that. But that's not going to happen by reading your Bible five minutes a day. You're going to have to go after Him. He's not far away, but you're going to have to go after Him to change your image because what you're doing is you're opening that, you're opening that valve so that the love of God can begin to form, flow into you and then back out of you. And it's a process. It's a process. So we're going to take a scripture or two and just kind of do this together. Kind of do this together. Let's go to... Um, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Just one verse. This is all about examples of faith and we looked at that before. Verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Notice it doesn't talk about your good works. We need to have good works. Notice it doesn't talk about your church attendance. We need to have church attendance. 
Notice it doesn't talk about your giving. We need to give. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. It doesn't stop there. It tells you why. We talked about this last time, I think. For he who comes to God... So what pleases God is we, when we come to Him. What pleases God is our coming to Him. But he says in order to come to Him, we must believe two things. That He is. Well, I believe God is. Well, do you? I mean, I know you intellectually believe it. I know I intellectually believe it. But in a crisis, what do you turn to? In a crisis, I mean an immediate crisis that comes upon you, what's your first reaction? Is it to pick up your phone and call a certain person? Then that's where your trust is. And many times we're not sure God's going to be there for us. So it's not just that He is, but that He's there for you. Not that He exists in heaven, but He's present to you. He hears you when you pray. He hears your cry at night. You may not see that He hears you, but you must have faith that He's there for you. Or you won't go to Him. When our um, second granddaughter, Emma, was probably five or six years old and we would go visit, uh, go visit her parents, she had to be careful because she had this habit. She had absolute trust in me that I'd catch her. So much so she didn't even pay attention to whether I was looking or not. So if I walked near the edge of the couch, she'd stand up in the arm and just jump at me, expecting me to catch her. So I'd be, oh, this is good. So knowing that was her tendency, I always kept one eye on her as I was moving around in their living room because she might jump, and God has more than one eye on you. Psalm 139 says that his thoughts towards you are as numerous as the grains of sands on the beaches. We're talking about what God's like. Because by faith, without faith, we don't imagine that because, because well, I, I don't know, I, I don't feel God thinking of me. I can't see God thinking of me. This is why it takes faith. Because his word says he does. Matthew chapter, I think it's 6, it says, Don't you know that He knows what you need before you ask? Why? He's been watching over you. He's listening to your thoughts. He's, he knows your need. He's prepared the answer for you. He's just waiting for you to ask Him. But see, we can't see that. So we have to believe that by faith, what He's like, because His Word says so. And that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That word diligently seek is really one word in the Greek. It means to go after, pursue. That he will reward you. He will answer you. He has provision for you. He has blessings for you. He will do exceedingly abundantly on all you can ask or think. So let's take a look at some of the other scriptures that talk about God's character and whether we can trust him or not. But we have to believe this by faith, not because you see it. Now, as you walk with Him more and you begin to see Him answer prayers, that seeing does help our believing. And one of the critical things to learn how to do this is to go back over things God's done for you. That's why being thankful is so important. When the Rackleys were here this last week, I spent some one conversation. I just spent time in our conversation going back over things God's delivered us from financially. 
through the years. I mean, supernatural things I asked him for and were, were, were provided. I mean, unbelievable if I spent the time tonight. It was just, and, and I'd forgotten some of those things. Not that I forgot them, I just haven't paid much attention. And as I shared those stories, my faith level started going, Ooh, I was just talking about what God's done for me. When there was no hope, when there was no way what God did for us. Doing those things, those going back over those things, stirs that up in you, the memory of what God did for you and how you felt then. And that helps it. So let's go over to um, 1 John chapter 5. How do I know? How can I, how can I have faith in God? How do I know what God's like? Well, what does His Word say? What does He say about Himself? 1 John 5, 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him. That's what we're talking about. This is what John, the Apostle John, who knew Jesus personally better than any of the other disciples. This is the confidence that we, not just I, that we have in Him. Notice he said, Notice he's saying, this is the basis of my confidence I have in Him. This is what I know about God. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Which means He's listening. So, well, that's the it. It's got to be His will. His will isn't one little thing. His will is just as something that has boundaries on it. And anything within those boundaries is His will for you. So, well, how do I know that? He's also given us instruction manual of what His will is. And so if you can find it in this Word, it's His will. Because His will and His Word are the same. Let's think about this. If we ask anything... See, I think one of the images we have of God is He has a list of things that are approved for you. A list of approved toys, a list of approved, you know... Relation, a list of approved things, and if it's not on that list, you can't have it. But that's not what it says. It's we ask anything that's within His will. And the boundaries of that will are amazingly wide. I think sometimes, at least maybe this is just me, I used to think I had to just hit it just on the spot. And if, God, if it was not something God had thought about for me, I, it wasn't for me. He hears us. So what we get out of this is God's wide open to what He wants willing to do for us. He's listening to us. He's expecting us. He's, ex- he's listening to us better than we're listening to Him. He's listening. His ears are open to hear. He already knows what you want, what you need, but He wants to hear from you. He hears us. Verse 15. And we know... Not we hope, not I think so. John's saying, we know that if He hears us. This is one of the most astounding verses in the Bible. This tells you about God's character. We know that if He hears us in whatever we've asked, we know, as there is it again, that we have the petition we asked for Him. So it's telling us about God's heart, His character, that if you ask anything that's within His will for you, and you ask Him and He hears you, and we know He hears you, then you already have it. When you ask Him, He doesn't say, you know what, I don't know. We've got to think about this a little bit. In other words, His heart, it comes down to God is generous. Oh, you can do better than that. God is 
generous. Ephesians 3, 20, I think it is. For my God will do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all you can ask or think. In other words, when whatever you can ask or think runs out, that's when God begins to do exceedingly, abundantly beyond what you can ask or think. That's what He wants to do for you. He's not stingy. But that's often the image we have of God. I'll let you in another secret if you promise not to tell anybody it wasn't here. He's not religious. There are going to be some shocked people if they get there to find out. I mean, look at Jesus. He clearly wasn't religious because kids liked him. And they won't hang around anybody that's religious. They sat in his lap. The religious disciples kept shooing them away. Oh, we'll get off on that. Okay. We know that if he hears... I want this to sink in. This was my prayer tonight. We know that if he hears... We're not, we're not even talking about your prayers. We're talking about God's heart towards you. His openness of his heart towards you. His generosity towards you. We know because we... See, John wrote that because he knew him. And this is what it comes down to. Your faith has only going to come as you begin to know God personally. That you know Him personally. Have a personal relationship. I don't mean what, tell me where you're saved or not. You can be saved and not have an experiential relationship with Him. I know, well, I can't say I always know what my wife will do, but I know her well enough to know that look in her eye. <laughs> I know the tone of her voice. I know what the kinds of things she's willing to do and what she's not willing to do. And she knows, by, that's what happens with 30, 50, 50 years of living together. And so, so God wants you to know Him that way. Remember, everything about God has to do with relationship. The reason He made man to begin with was to have a relationship. The reason He sent Jesus to buy us all back is to have a relationship. Not a bunch of servants, not a bunch of automatons, children of God whom He loves. He wants to pour out His blessings on you. We know that we have the petitions we've asked of Him if He just hears us. I've used this example before and it's not a perfect example because we're not perfect. But my wife was, had a special tendency that when one of our grandkids was in a store with them and would say, just start looking at something, would you like that? Would you, would you like that? I mean, so much so that, 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 that our grandchildren buy a large... No, 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 I don't need that. I mean, I, we've been in the store with them. We almost make them buy something because we want them to have it more than they want them. What does that come out of? Well, I'm their grandfather. I have to appear loving. No, I want them to enjoy it. And so, Well, if you don't like that, did you like this? This is what God's like. Do you think I'm better than He is? You better not. <laughs> Do you think I'm more generous than he is? No. Then if, if that's my heart towards our grandchildren, how much more is his heart towards you, his child? So you begin to think on these terms, now coming to God and trusting that he's going to do what I ask him to do, it becomes easier and easier. John chapter se- uh, Matthew chapter 7. And there are more we could talk about. And we may end up, but not tonight. Verse 
Matthew chapter 7. I just quoted for you earlier from here where he says, um, it's over actually, it's over in chapter 6 where he says in verse, um, uh, verse 8, don't, don't be like the Gentiles for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. And then there's, there's discussion in between and now he's going to pick up with this idea again in Matthew 7 verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Now, you've got to tie the scripture. It has to be within his will. But again, that's very broad. The kinds of things that are outside of his will are pretty obvious. I know that would never happen here, but you know, I've heard of stories, especially in Bible school, where some man sitting over here looks at some young thing over here and says, God, I want her. <laughs> See, this prayer isn't talking about changing other people. This is talking about something between you and God. This is talking about something that you ask Him for or you're looking for from Him that doesn't involve other people's will. Ask, and it will be given to you. Now, the word ask there is a very interesting word in, in, in the Greek language. The word ask does not just mean to, to, to ask a question. You know, God, I, I, I'd, like, I'd like a new car. The word ask is a heartfelt cry from a need. It's like, God! In fact, it's interesting because some of the prayers that I've uttered that got answered the fast was one word. Help! <laughs> I don't know what to do here, but it was a cry from my heart. The, the, um, the term that's used in several places in the New Testament, it's in Galatians, and it's in Romans chapter uh, 8, where it says, uh, uh, we're to call God Abba, Father. I was listening to a teaching by, uh, Abba is an Aramaic word that means father or daddy. I was listening to a teaching uh, by uh, an, an Arab, a, Jew, a Christian that, was, that had an Arab heritage. And he was talking about that word, uh, um, uh, Abba, thank you. Uh, and he said that word in, in, in the original language describes the cry of a baby with a need. Now, those of you who've been parents of a young... Of a, well, you probably were parents of a young child before you became parents of an older child. But those who've been parents, if you can remember back to when... I remember, still remember when we brought our oldest son home. He was the... You know, and, and he's that firstborn syndrome. The first night in that crib, he slept, we didn't. Every little movement is like listening. But you could be... A mother could be at the other end of the house and that child cries out out of a need. Mothers can tell the difference in the cry. They're just crying to cry, right? Or they're crying because there's a need. And boy, when they hear that cry of need, it sets something off in that parent. I've got to drop what I'm going to do, and I'm going to... I'll never forget one time I was preaching here on a Wednesday night. Maybe it was a Sunday morning. And my, the same granddaughter was in the nursery over there. And there were a bunch of kids fussing. And I'm in the middle of preaching something, and I could hear her cry. Somebody opened the door. In, the, in those moments, I stopped being a pastor, and I was a grandfather. The word Abba refers to the cry of a child out of a heartfelt need that touches the heart of the parents that they'll drop what they're doing to meet it. That's what this word ask means. It means to ask. Ask from the depths of your heart because you're expecting to receive what you're asking for. Ask. That's why sometimes we don't get it because we're, we're not really asking. We're kind of throwing up a trial balloon. 
Let's see if this sticks. God, I need this. Didn't stick. I guess God doesn't hear that prayer. If you think about it, that's where a lot of our prayers is throwing it up hoping something's going to stick. That's not faith. That's not asking. See, asking is in a relationship. When our children came and asked something, it's funny, sometimes they get on the phone with you still today. Dad, how are you? Okay. My mind's going to ask, how much is this going to cost me? Because <laughs> you go, what do you really want? <laughs> and then they might find out, no, just call it. <sighs> get a relax. Because children, as they get older, they're a little smarter about how they ask, but they don't hesitate to ask. Why? Because they know you love them. They know even if you say no, you're not going to kick them out of the family. There's a, in other words, there's a confidence in their parents that they love them and want to provide what's needed. And that's what God wants. That's what God has towards us. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Verse 8. Everyone that asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Which means if we're asking and not receiving, maybe we're not really asking. Verse 9. He's going to talk now again about God's character. Now he's going to tell us something about God. What man among you, if his son asks for bread, gives him a stone? In other words, he doesn't, he plays games with him. He's not direct. If your son asks you for a loaf of bread and you say, all right, I'll give you something that, that, that you know, I'll trick you and give him a stone, or I'll give you something that I think's better for you. Will he give him a stone? Verse 10. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent or a snake? Well, he's, 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 saying, he's using this parallel. He's going to say, look, if, if, if your fathers... This is appropriate in your Father's Day. Your fathers, and even with all your issues, you don't trick your children. You don't say, ask, and then you don't do what you've asked them to do. Verse 11. If you then being evil, that doesn't mean you're evil parents, but compared to God, we're not perfect. If you then being not perfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father, that implies a relationship, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? Have faith in what your heavenly Father is like. Have faith in His faithfulness. Have faith in His love for you. Have faith in His caring for you. Have faith in His presence with you. Have faith in His generosity. Have faith in His patience. Have faith in His goodness. Have faith in His love. Have faith in what He's like. will give good things to those who ask. Ask and you'll receive. I was in the middle of the night one time struggling with something I was going through. and I can still right where I am when God spoke this to me. And I was praying and I was crying out for something. And the Lord took me to that scripture just in my memory. He says, son, let me ask you a question. Why would I tell you to ask if I didn't plan to give? And that struck me. Because God, God's telling us to ask Him. 
He's not saying, if you, would, if, you, if you ever feel like you'd like to. He's telling us, come to me and ask me. And if God is telling us to come and ask Him, and He's not already decided to give it, He's not fair. He's tricking us, and that's the example He's using. You wouldn't do that to your children. Say, come, ask me, ask me, ask me, and then say no. It'd be like my granddaughter. So I've tell, come on, come on, Emma, jump in my arms. And then when she jumped, I stepped away. It reminds me of a lawyer joke, but I won't tell it. <laughs> it was the first day of law school. <laughs> well, I will. No, I won't. <laughs> God would not tell us to ask if He had already not decided to give. So the issue is not on God's part. The issue is we don't know Him well enough to understand that if we ask Him, He's going to do it. So how come I've asked and I haven't received? I don't know. But it doesn't change who He is and it doesn't change what He said He wants to do. Sometimes we're in that place where that father was that said, and Jesus said, you know, He said, you know, uh, He said, if you can, heal my son. And Jesus said, if I can. All things are possible to him who believes. In other words, the issue isn't on my part. I'm willing to do it. The question is, what, are you, what can you believe? And the Father was honest enough to say, I believe, help my unbelief. He had to believe something or He wouldn't have come and asked. But somehow He wasn't, He was too moved, we can't get into that tonight, He was too moved by what His senses, and this is where the battle is. We hear what God says, we say, I've got, I've got confidence in you, God, but my senses are telling me this isn't working, this can never work. And it's learning to get more confidence in what God says than what our senses say. And we may get into that next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your faithfulness and your goodness. We come to you tonight, Lord, to ask you. You said ask. We're asking you by the Holy Spirit for Him to begin to work in our hearts. Your word says, Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus, that they would, you would open the eyes of their understanding that they would see the hope of your calling for their life is in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth that the Spirit searches the depths of your heart to reveal the deep things of your heart to us that we might know you. And I'm asking, Father, on behalf of each and every one of us here tonight and those within the sound of my voice, that your precious Holy Spirit would begin to open the inner eyes of our heart that we would see you as you really are. Father, all of us are dealing to some degree or other with, with images of you that we've gotten from our childhood or, or that we've even formed from our own experiences that are, that, are, that are hindering knowing you as you really are. But you will never deny the sincere cry of a heart asking to know you. And we come tonight to ask you that we might know you by experience with you. And so, Father, as we begin to open the Word of God together, as we begin to seek You with our hearts, we're trusting You to do what it is only You can do. We thank You for that in Jesus' name.